Alrighty, let's uh, gather back together, shall we? All right. Well, my name is uh, Jamie. I'm the pastor here at Pullman Foursquare. I'd like to say welcome to you and to every single one of you. My wife Heidi and I uh, pastor the church here. Um, you'll get to hear her speak next week if all things go well. She is on the docket for next week. I was supposed to be off this week, but um, our, our speaker, Audrey, was not able to be here. He wound up at the last minute having to travel, so he's gone today. And I got the privilege of having today's subject, which actually, as I got into it, I was like, oh man, I'm glad I get to speak on this subject, because I really believe that God has something very special and very specific for each one of you this morning through it. Um, so uh, would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 23? You're not going to want to look at it. Just open it to Matthew chapter 23, paper Bible. If you need a Bible, there's some right there on the backspace. Uh, we can get one for you, and it will be up on the screen uh, behind me. So this last summer, I had an experience, which I believe many of you have probably experienced before. It was a particularly hot summer day, and I was outside mowing the lawn. I collective groan probably should come up in the room, right? Ugh, mowing the lawn on a hot day. So I was outside, and I'm like, I'm mowing the lawn, and we have way more lawn. Like, so... Our yard was done in a style I like to call early way too much. It's way too big and way too much stuff going on, and there's way too many places to mow. And uh, But we like the grass to be green and short and look nice like a golf course, so we get out there, and I mow it. And during the summer, it is like every week. And then we do this really dumb thing where we actually fertilize it. How many of you have ever fertilized a lawn? You're like, oh, it's finally just at this manageable rate. Oh, let's fertilize it, and then we're going to have to go every two days. So I'm out there mowing this lawn and I'm hot, and I'm sweating, and I get the upper part done, and I come down to the back door of our house, and I knock on the window because I'm covered in grass and sweat, and I don't want to go inside and touch anybody or anything. And believe me, when I even think about sweating, nobody even wants to touch me ever because I'm just a mess. I'm a hot, sweaty mess. So I knock on the door, and Amelia comes to the door, my seven-year-old little daughter, and she, she opens the door and looks at me like, ew, you're so gross. And I say, Amelia, can you get me a glass of water? She says, sure, Daddy. And she runs and gets me a glass of water. She comes back with a glass of water, and I just, I just down the thing. I totally down it. And I say, here, can you get me another glass of water? She goes, okay, I'm going to get you some ice this time. And you hear it go into the ice machine on the refrigerator door. Clink, 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 you know, into the cup. And then she fills it up with water and comes back. And this one I decide to sit down and enjoy. So I sit down in the, the deck chair and just kind of enjoy the hot. You know, hot kind of sounds nice right about now, doesn't it? Like... We're all in our cable-knit sweaters and cold. The, 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 the heat of summer sounds great, but in the moment, I was just sweating. And so I began to drink my glass of water, and the ice is melting. And I drink it all the way down to the very bottom of the cup. Like, all the ice is gone. And then I look, and you know, you have a little bit of water left in the bottom of the cup. And I look, and it's full of floaties. And I'm like, floaties? Where did that come from? And I tilt the glass back, and you could see all across the bottom of the cup was this scum of dishwasher leftovers. It was the overfilled dishwasher cup. Have any of you ever had one of those? Overfilled dishwasher cup? And you're like, the, gla- the, 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 the outside of the glass is like nice and clean, right? And then the water you put in there is clean, coming right out of the tap. The ice was clean, but the cup was nasty. And I had drank two full glasses of water full of dishwasher floaties. Ew. Collective ooh. Come on, join with me. Ew. It was horrible. And it happens. And that have happened to you. And as gross as that is, now imagine if you invited a friend over to your house 
and you went to the cupboard, they're like, oh man, it's hot out today. Could really use a cold glass of water. And you go, sure, and you go to the cupboard and you pull out a glass and you fill it full of water and they sit down and they're drinking it. And halfway through their glass, they go, dishwasher floaties. How gross is that to give that to somebody else? I mean, it's one thing, it's like your own dishwasher floaties, but to go to somebody else's house and get their dishwasher floaties, I mean, who knows what's in there, right? Which kid had cleaned their hands with what and what mud or dirt or slime? Or, you know, how long the dish sat in the dishwasher before it got washed? It was gross. It's gross. Well, here's the thing. That is exactly what happens if we do not learn to listen to our interior lives and what's going on inside of us. We become glasses that look really nice and clean on the outside, full of really clean water, and yet there's a crust at the bottom of it or maybe on the sides. And as people enter into our lives and they start to get to know us and they start drinking the water of our lives, they're going to start encountering the floaties. They're going to start encountering the dishwasher slime. And everybody says collectively, ew, gross. Right, exactly. So if you're a guest with us, I just want to catch you up where we're at in the series. This is kind of the opening illustration to help you capture what we're talking about. But to catch you up on what we've been talking about, we are studying the listening life which is a series that we feel is really important for us to learn to listen to every aspect of our life and our world. We started with like learning to listen to the God of the universe, the God who creates the universe. Last week we talked about God speaks and the universe actually listens because boom, it created, right? And that all creation praises God. We learn to listen to God through the scripture, that God speaks to us through the Bible. And today we're going to learn to listen to our lives. Everyone and everything is talking. It's all saying something, but very few of us are taking the time to listen. And so we want to learn to listen and to be people who listen before we speak. So the ordering in which we actually presented the subjects has been really intentional, and here's why. If we spend our time learning to listen to others first, or learning to even listen to our own lives before we learn to listen to the voice of God, we can become confused into believing that we can fix things. We could be confused into thinking that by going to a counselor, we can solve all of our problems. Now, don't hear me say counselors are not important, because at the end, I want to challenge you. If you need to go see a counselor, go see a counselor. But if we learn to think that, hey, if I just listen to what somebody's saying, I can solve all my relational issues, or if I listen to what my life is saying, what's going on inside of me, then I could fix it myself. The reality is we have to learn to listen to God first, who created us and knows us. And here's the most important thing. Like, if nothing else you hear this morning, this is the most important thing, that Jesus loves you, and he sees you as good, and he sees you as being made holy. He sees you as being restored. And if we don't learn to hear that voice first, then we think we can fix it. So we've been talking in this order. Here's a really important point, though. The voices you choose to listen to are shaping the kind of person that you are becoming. So if we learn to listen to God first, we learn to listen to what Jesus is saying to us first— then we become like Jesus. But if we are listening to the voices of the world, if we're listening to the voices of in our heart and in our mind, and the voices around us, we're going to become more and more and more like them. Last night I shared with, a, actually I shared with a, the prayer group this morning, last night at like two o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I was experiencing the tape recorder. You guys know the tape recorder in your mind? I don't know how many of you guys have one of these. I've talked about it before, but it's like these recorded messages that roll around in your brain that tell you certain things about yourself. And I have spent a lot of time working on turning off those tape recordings and and writing new ones and letting Jesus write new ones. 
But it, randomly, after it's been months, I haven't had this happen. But I woke up at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and inside my head is going, you're not a very good preacher, you're a terrible pastor, you, you shouldn't be doing this, what do you think you're doing, you can't ever make this happen, you can't, and you know what, there's actually some truth to that, because I can't, I can't make this happen, only God can. And those voices are rolling around in my head. Now I had a choice in that moment. I could choose to listen to it and become more like what it was saying, or I could choose to listen to what Jesus has been saying and what Jesus has put on my heart and this message that he has given me this morning and to speak it with faithfulness and to believe what he is saying about me. I am who he says I am, not who I say I am, and not who you say I am. Nor are you who you say you am, nor are you whom somebody else say you am. That's not in my notes at all, because I, ne- I would have never written that weird triple negative thing going on there. I don't even know what that was. So today we're going to shift our focus from listening to God. We're going to shift our focus from listening to Scripture and start to listen to our lives, knowing what Jesus is saying to us, right? Continuing to keep our ear open for God, but to listen to our lives. And here's why. The most important thing that we need to remember in today's day and age, I think, about being a Christian is that we can't be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature as well. That there is an interior life that is inside of us that is dictating how we live. Um, in EHS, one of the things we say is that, you know, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. We are formed by our families of origin. We are formed by how our parents interact. We are formed by our, how our grandparents and great parents of, grandparents have interacted. And we can have these pieces in us that are emotionally immature. And we can think, hey, I'm really spiritually mature. I know how to read the Bible, and I read it, and I hear from God. I know how to pray. I know how to give. I can do all of these things. But you're going to find that your relationships don't transform and change. You're going to find that your world isn't transforming and changing around you because inside you're the same person you were before. You haven't changed inside. But if we are going to take seriously the theology that says the Holy Spirit resides in us, Now remember, this is a promise from Jesus. He says, I'm going away, but stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promised Holy Spirit who will baptize you with fire. And Jesus also says that Holy Spirit is going to live in you. We have God out there, God the Father. We have Jesus, God here, and the Holy Spirit, God in us. And if we're going to take seriously this belief that the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we have to believe that the Spirit is speaking in us. You guys follow that? If the Spirit lives in us, the Spirit is speaking in us. So here's the question I want to start with. If you were to interview your life, what would it say? If you were to sit down with your life and start to ask it a few questions, what would it say to you? In the first century, the Jewish leaders of those days were, they were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus was constantly, constantly button heads with this group of people called the Pharisees. And we're going to experience some of that here in Matthew chapter 23. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're about to read this piece of text. So to give you a little bit of context, these men, they had a life that was designed entirely to be holy. They took the Old Testament law, which is found in, in, in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they made a science of it. They could perfect every law, and not just what the law said, but they would, you know, add laws on so that they were way far from failing at anything. 
and they would wear certain clothes and they would tie prayers and scriptures onto their bodies and they would lift their hands up and worship and when they gave they would give and in such a way that everybody could see how much they were giving you know how you know, people like that i don't know if anybody experienced that this morning i hope not that you write this giant check and you're writing it so the people behind you can see and then you tear the check off real slow so it makes that sound and you say that's what these pharisees were doing they were living this outwardly religious life and jesus shows up one sabbath one sunday it's a saturday for them but We'll pretend for our purposes it's a Sunday. This is when we come together to worship God. And the Pharisees are there in the temple, and Jesus is there, and Jesus is teaching, and everybody's listening, and they're debating, and they're talking about Scripture. And Jesus gets a little upset with these guys. He gets a little angry with them, and he levels at them what's called a woe. Everybody say woe. Woe. That's very good. You're still with me. I wasn't sure. He levels at them what's called a woe. Now, in biblical terms, a woe is an oracle. That's like you only hear those in sci-fi and fantasy books, right? We're going to go visit the oracle. It's a prophetic oracle. It's a message from God that is leveled at somebody, and it's a direct word from God that says, you're living this way, and shame on you, okay? You're doing this, shame on you. It happens in the Old Testament quite a bit. If you look in the prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Joel, there is shame on you. It's, it's not those specific words, but you'll say what they've done wrong, and therefore, this is what's going to happen to you. Shame on you. And Jesus levels seven or eight, depending on your Bible. We're not going to talk about that, but seven or eight woes at these Pharisees this day. And the center point of all of that comes at verse 24 through 28. And that's what I'm going to read with you today. Ready? Here's what it says. Jesus, whew, I have a hard time reading this in Jesus' voice because it just doesn't sound like Jesus. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate, and that the outside that the, the outside may also be clean. Oh, for, sorry, I read it backwards. Verse, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." How many of you are glad that you are not a Pharisee this morning? Yeah. Imagine that. I mean, we like to hear words from Jesus, right? I love you. I got a wonderful plan for your life. I care about you. I want to heal you. I want to touch you. But we don't want to hear this part. We don't want to hear, woe to you. Woe. I am so glad this morning that I am not a Pharisee. He is saying to these guys that they're a bunch of cups straight out of an overloaded dishwasher. That they're nice and shiny on the outside, but inside is that crust of filth. And he says to them, it's important to pay attention to what is going on inside. Because it's the inside that makes you clean. It is the inside, the interior life where God is speaking and working in you right now that makes your outward life clean. So the woes themselves, seven or eight of them, have some content in them that can help us maybe begin to interview our lives. If we were to sit down and ask our lives, how's the inside of my cup? How's the inside, the interior, what's going on inside of me? 
Jesus' woes here give us a few places that we can ask ourselves how things are going. And I don't want to take the time to read all the woes, so I'm just going to kind of highlight them. Is that cool with you guys? You can go back and read these and just brace yourselves because it's pretty, pretty hard. The first one is this, from verses 4 through 12. Jesus says that the Pharisees do all of their deeds to be seen by others. The Pharisees had this interior desire for position and honor. They wanted to be seen as holy and honorable people doing the right thing. How many of you would like to be seen as people who do the right thing? You're like, should I raise my hands? Because that's what he just said, the Pharisees, and it's just this woe thing. I'm raising both my hands. Like, I don't want to be seen as somebody doing the wrong thing. I want people to see me as a good guy, a nice guy, a happy guy, a guy who loves people. Not just a smart guy, but a guy who loves Jesus. That's how I want people to see me. Perfectly natural to want that. However, what Jesus is talking about is not the desire to just be seen as doing something well, but putting a mask on that makes you look like one thing when inside you're something else entirely. When you put a mask on that lifts you up above other people that says, oh, look how honorable and great I am. Look what a nice guy I am. I'm Pastor Jamie. I'm not just Jamie, that same normal old guy. I'm just, I'm something honorable and lovely and great, and you're going to love me. I promise. As I was reading this, I really felt like Jesus pointed something out. I'm like, I, I think I was reading it, and I'm going, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. Which we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. And Jesus says, you know what, Jamie? You hate being wrong. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do hate being wrong. I don't want anybody to ever know that I'm wrong. Especially not my kids. Especially not my church. Throughout my whole life, I've had this thing where when I am wrong, something inside of me twists and turns till I just want to run. I, I hate being wrong. Once I was told by a pastor who was over me that when I am wrong, I become belligerent and angry. And I said, no, I don't. What are you even talking about? It took me like 10 years to actually hear what he said. It took me 10 years or more to see that when I am wrong about something, there is this monster that rises up in me, this crust at the bottom of the cup, these floaties washing around in me. And I go into defense mode when I am wrong. And I realize it's because when I was a kid, I struggled with a learning disability. I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with a learning disability, but in elementary school, I was struggling with this learning disability, and I couldn't get anything right. The whole class could see I couldn't get anything right. My parents could see I couldn't get anything right. I couldn't do anything right. And I began to believe that it wasn't just some sort of disability, but that it was an actual brokenness in me. I was a hot mess that could not be solved, which is called shame. It's not guilt. Guilt is believing that I've done something wrong. Shame is believing that I am wrong. And finding out that I had this thing inside of me, I began to believe in my heart that there was something wrong with me and so what I did is I put on a mask of smart. I put on a mask of confidence and capability. And I didn't let anybody see that I was wrong ever, if I could help it. Now, my wife will tell you that I fail at it a lot, because she can see when I'm wrong pretty quick, right? She's just smiling. <laughs> this was meant to be funny. You're like, he's all serious right now, and I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at him or not. It's true. Because I didn't want people to think I was dumb. 
I hide behind a defensive wall of getting angry when I'm wrong. And so you never want to challenge me if I'm wrong, because I'd get angry with you. But I have learned to sit down and interview my life. And I began to ask, gosh, Jamie, why is it you get so upset when you're wrong? I mean, come on. You, so, so you got the wrong number. That happens a lot, okay? I'm kind of actually getting used to that. Got the wrong number, but I used the wrong word, or I said the wrong thing, or I said something that made somebody angry, or my sermon wasn't great. It was just mediocre. And I get upset about it. Why? And I began to interview myself. And I began to see this thing about shame inside of me and this belief deep down inside of me that I was broken and that there was floaties in the cup. And I began to take that to Jesus and to say, Jesus, please speak truth to me. Jesus, please teach me how you see me, not how I see myself. Please teach me how to live in a way that I'm not lashing out at people when I make a mistake. Because how silly is that to hurt somebody when I make a mistake? Desiring position and honor, desiring to be seen as a good person and putting a mask on is one of the seven things that these men were doing where Jesus said, woe to you. Interview your life. If you were to ask yourself, how am I with desiring position and honor and how I want people to see me? Are you driven by this need for others to see you as honorable to cover up some sort of shame or brokenness? To have power over others that your life may be speaking to you something right now that Jesus would desperately like to heal in you? Let's interview your life. There's some other areas that Jesus lists out here, and, and I think that these may, there, some of them are less, less pointed for me and maybe pointed at you. So let's just look at them just briefly. One of them is this idea of feeling guilty. In verses 12 through 15, uh, the, Jesus talks about the, these Pharisees are making disciples. Okay, they're going out and they're reaching people for God. And they're coming to church, and they're getting into community and getting into relationships. And what this, these Pharisees are doing is they're saying, hey, if you want to be like us, then you need to start living like us. And you need to start doing X, Y, and Z, and also A, B, C, D, and F, G, and all the other letters. And then we're also going to add a couple other languages on top of that. Right? You've got to do all this stuff. And these people are being buried under this weight of guilt because they, they, they walk wrong and they've done something wrong. They eat the wrong food and they're wrong. And they think that God hates them because they're having all of these laws foisted on them. And they walk around with this deep sense of guilt. Did you know that feeling guilty, though, is a sign that our life is trying to tell us something about how we're living? Did you listen to guilt, the guilty feelings? If you do, you may find that God is trying to teach you something. Or you may find that you are trying to live in such a way as to earn God's love. I hear and have heard over the years, some people say, oh, I watched this show the other day. It's my guilty pleasure. Or I listen to the, I don't listen to the Christian radio station pastor. I just listen to country radio all the time. I know, I feel guilty about it when some of those songs come on. But, you know, it's just, I, I just want to listen to that kind of music. I feel guilty about it. You know what? I don't want you to feel guilty. If your heart is telling you that you're guilty, that there's something going on there, your spirit may be speaking to you, or maybe you're trying to earn God's love. But if you were to sit down and ask yourself in those moments where you feel guilty, interview your life, life, what are you trying to say to me about this sense of guilt I have? What are you trying to say to me in this moment? Instead of just ignoring it or covering it up or pushing it aside, maybe asking your guilt what are you trying to speak? And God, what are you trying to say to me in this moment? You'll find that you begin to clean the inside of that 
that cup just a little bit more. You'll find that you're either trying to earn God's love, and Jesus is saying, look, I'm washing the cup. Or you're really doing something that, that really violates the heart of God. And you need to challenge your own living and to step up. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. I'm calling you to more Christ-likeness. What does your guilt say if you were to interview your life? Another area, being stingy. Verse 23, it says that the Pharisees, they were great tithers. Now, a tithe is where you give 10% 10 of your income back to God. Biblically speaking, in the Old Testament, that's what God commands, 10% of our income. Okay, then the New Testament, Jesus takes it a step further. You're like, hey, we're not bound by that Old Testament law anymore. No, Jesus goes, no, everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor. So when we command you or order you, not order you, that's not the right words, because I would never order you to tithe. When we encourage you to tithe, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, Jesus says everything. We're saying 10%, come on, you can do this. But these uh, Pharisees, they wouldn't just tithe on their money. They would tithe on their seasonings and their spices. They're given like 10% of their taco seasoning. They go to Costco and they buy the giant thing of taco seasoning and they carefully weigh out one-tenth of it. They get used to scale because you wouldn't just do this with the tablespoons. You want it to be exact. And they're down to the gram and giving their mint and their coriander is what he, what he says. And they're, they're tithing even on that stuff. And yet, he says that they're stingy. Stingy. You're like, stingy? They're giving 10% of their taco seasoning as well as 10% of their money. That's not stingy. He says, no, they're being stingy with justice. They're being stingy with mercy. They look at poor people who, who could never do anything for them. And when they break a law or commandment, they just come down hard. But if it's a rich and wealthy person, if it's another Pharisee who can you know, do something for them later in life, then they turn and they give them mercy. They give them love and concern. Jesus says these men were stingy with justice and with mercy, the things that really mattered. Ouch. Our generosity, on the other hand, can reveal what we're really in love with. And that's what we saw in that moment. They were actually really in love with what position and power they could wield rather than in justice and in mercy, rather than in love with God. There was a, a, a Catholic priest, Father Pedro Arupe. Uh, my wife handed this to me this just this week. And this is what he said. He said, what you are in love with will affect everything. It will decide what you get at, what will get you out of bed in the morning, what, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, what you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Now, if we applied that to the Pharisees, what we see is that they were in love with themselves. They were in love with honor, with power, and position. My question to you is, what does your life, when you interview it, say you are in love with? What does your greed or stinginess say about what you are in love with? Whenever we say the word money, people automatically, like, the defenses go up, right? He's like, oh, he's going to talk about money. He's going to tell me I need to tithe. He's going to tell me I need to give 10%, and I can't give 10%. My question to you is not whether you give 10% or don't give for 10% question to you is, are you being stingy? What are you more in love with? That's why we encourage you to give, is because we want you to trust Jesus with everything. Trust Jesus with your relationships. Trust Jesus with your family. Trust Jesus with your home. Trust Jesus with your money. Give, and give generously, 
because out of that generosity flows the wellsprings of your heart. You're going to fall in love more and more with Jesus as you trust him more and more. What does your stinginess say about your life? What is God trying to speak through that to you? One more thing, comparing. Verses 29 through 36 now, let me just say that I'm better at comparing myself to others than you are. Five of you, oh, there it is. Just wait for it. I'll say it again. I am better at comparing myself to others than you are. He got it now. All right. So the Pharisees would read the stories in the Old Testament. They would read like about how people, these, these prophets would rise up. And I mean, prophets were people that literally carried messages from God. All right. They're messengers from God. They'd write down what God said, and those people, they'd come and they'd read it. So if you got a message from God, a letter from God, you'd usually be like, oh, all right. But in the Old Testament, what would happen, instead of getting a, a letter from God and being excited about it, what they would do is they would turn and listen to what they had to say and then kill them. Okay, they would just kill the prophet, kill the messenger, right? Don't kill the messenger, kill the messenger. This is what they would do. And the Pharisees were saying, oh, if we were alive back then, if we were alive at the time of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel or Ezekiel, we wouldn't have killed the prophet. We would have listened and we would have obeyed the word of the Lord. We would have, we would have been way better than them. I'm glad I'm not like those people back then. No, we're better than that now. We would never do that. Just a note, these are the same guys that ended up crucifying Jesus just a few weeks later. Hello, pot calling the kettle black. We compare to find out where we fit in the world. I'm above them or I'm beneath them. I'm better than them or I'm not better than them. I have more money than them or I have less money than them. I'm better at baseball than them. I'm worse at baseball than them. I'm better at sitting in a chair at church than them. I'm I mean, all of these things that we can compare. And you know what? It is absolutely natural. This is the soup we swim in, isn't it? We just walk around life. We're not even thinking about it. We, we meet somebody at Starbucks and we look at the sweater they're wearing and they go, oh man, that's a nice cashmere sweater. I could never afford a cashmere sweater. And we're, it's like we weren't thinking about sweaters a second ago, but all of a sudden I'm like, wow, they must have money. I don't know, you know. And then, then it turns out that they found it at the secondhand store for 25 cents and we didn't know. We just compared ourselves and said they're better than me. It's the soup we live in. We compare to figure out where we sit. It happens all the time. So I kind of wonder if you were to sit and ask your life the next time you find yourself comparing. In that moment at Starbucks, when you see the sweater, you go, ooh, nice sweater, they must be wealthy. What if you were to say, hey, what? Why do I feel the need to, to compare myself to them? Well, why do I need to feel better than them or to know whether I, they would even talk to me? What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with Jesus saying, I love you? What does that have to do with anything at all? What if you were to interview your life and to hear what your life is saying to you? What would your comparison say about what's on the inside of your cup? Speaking of which, I have a little drink. So how do we do it? Here's where we get practical. How do you not be one of the Pharisees? Right? How do you not be somebody who is a cup straight out of the dishwasher, who's shiny on the outside, but inside is crusty and nasty and dirty? How do we deal with grandpa that's in our bones while having Jesus in our heart? How do we do it? Here's a few points. First of all is to create some soul space, okay? And we're going to do that this morning, actually. Just by being here, did you know this? I just want to encourage you. Good job coming to church. 
good job being here this morning because you have created soul space. You've created a space where you are listening to God, you are listening to others, you are listening to life. Even if you're sitting there with cotton in your ears and you're actively trying to ignore him, you made the effort and showed up. Good job. Be, turn to somebody next to you and just wake them up and say, good job, get in here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for waking me up. Good job. Seriously. A lot of people don't make this step. A lot of people have devalued creating soul space where they can come every week and meet with Jesus. And they can come every week and meet with one another and encourage one another to love and good deeds. That's what Hebrews says that we do when we come together. So we create soul space where we can interview our lives. Because here's the deal. Our world is moving super fast, isn't it? Now, I was talking to Rob earlier this morning. You're Suddenly you're in my sermon, Rob. I was just like, hey, Rob, who's just down the street from me? And I'm like, dude, I feel like I don't even know you. Where have you been? You know, like, I haven't seen you. And he's like, yeah, my life is just so busy right now. That's the truth of all of us, right? Our life is so busy. We got so much going on. Just trying to put together the gist conferences coming up. Heidi and I were just like, oh, we got to keep swimming. We got to keep just keeping my head above water. There's so much to do. And that's why it's so important to stop every now and then, so that we can actually hear what's going on inside of us. That's why we encourage you as pastors, we encourage everyone here, if you take an EHS or an EHR, Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, we, as a center point of all of that, do something that's called silence and stillness, where we take the daily office twice a day to spend just a few minutes, like, turn off the radio in the car and let God speak. Turn off Turn off the, the, the iPad, turn off the computer, close the laptop, put the paper away that you've got to write, set aside the bills, and just breathe for a minute and let your life speak to you. Often we run so fast and so hard, and many of us are doing it on purpose in order to run from what our lives are actually saying to us. Oh, that hurts. And I've been guilty of it. I have run so hard in my life trying to hide from my own shame, trying to cover up my shame by looking good, that I couldn't hear my own life speak until my life was screaming to me. Until my life was saying, dude, it's out of control. Now I'm like depressed and I'm lost and I'm lonely and I don't know which way is up. And I had to get healing and be restored. So what if you preemptively, before you have a midlife crisis, before you go out and buy a sports car, what if you just stopped for five minutes? What if you stopped for two minutes and actually asked your life, oh man, I feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty? What is that guilt all about? Jesus, what are you saying to me in my guilt? I feel, I feel like I'm just a mess. I'm a hot mess, Jesus. It's like, it's ambiguous. I don't even know what it's all about, but I'm a hot mess right now. I feel lost and alone and I don't know why. What is that saying to me? What are you saying to me, Jesus to take space to be quiet, to go for a walk. How many of you went for a walk last week after the sermon? Okay, now everybody in the church raised their hand and said they were going to. So if you were here last week, you've got a walk to make up, okay? We get out in nature and just let nature speak to you, to be silent, to hear the voice of God, to take a Sabbath, a whole day. Imagine that, a whole day where you're not working but you're allowing yourself to enjoy your life because it's a gift. 
where you're allowing yourself to enjoy your family because they're a gift, where you're allowing yourself to enjoy the yellow leaves on the trees because they're a gift, where you're allowing yourself to enjoy your own thought process because it's a gift and God speaks to you in it. Secondly, another way that we listen to our lives is to get a different perspective. My wife likes to use the word angles and I hate geometry. I'm terrible at geometry, so I don't understand angles, but I understand a different perspective. I understand looking at things from a different place. Sometimes we need to allow people in our lives to speak to us a different perspective. And that's where Christian counselors, where psychologists, where life coaches like my wife Heidi, where pastors like me and my wife Heidi, and where we come in, where a spiritual friend, somebody you trust and care about, can begin to speak to your life. And you can just sit down with them and say, you know, I've been experiencing these feelings of guilt over and over and over again. I watch a show, I feel guilty. I, I, I have a drink at a restaurant and I feel guilty. I feel like everybody's watching me, I feel guilty all the time. And the counselor's going to look at you and say, so what do you think that means? And you're going to say, that's why I'm here. You're supposed to tell me. And they're going to say, hmm, that's interesting. And they're going to force you to come to a place where you give an answer and you begin to deal with it. But it's a spiritual practice to listen to somebody else and to do it in the presence of Jesus, to allow somebody with a different perspective that's not you to begin to speak into your life. Get a different perspective. Thirdly, it's going to require getting real and getting honest. All right? We all want to believe the best about ourselves. We all want our life to look really good for everybody else. We don't like hearing and seeing the broken parts of us. There are days where I'm like, Jesus, really, can't we just take a break from growing? Can we, can I just leave me alone? And he's like, I love you. I'm like, I'm not trying to pressure you in anything. And he's like, and I'm going, yeah, but I'm a hot mess still. And like, even though I'm like all this healing and we get into these places where we're, we're just overwrought with how we feel. It's okay. Just take a breath. But be real and be honest. Interview your life honestly and don't tell yourself a lie. Do you realize how often we lie? We're just liars all the time. Like I was realizing that for myself. I'm like, I'm always lying to myself that I'm this or that or the other thing. And I just need to be honest with myself and just be who I am. And to repent when I've not been honest with myself or with somebody else. To and you know what repent? Repent seems like a bad word, right? In our culture, repent, it sounds like something that somebody from a tent revival where the sawdust on the ground is and there's people slobbering down front and crying and wailing and moaning and gnashing of teeth and sackcloth and ashes. Nobody wears sackcloth and ashes anymore. It's a Bible thing. It's kind of weird. But it's like this sign that, oh, I've just messed up and I'm a total wreck before you, God. That's not the biblical picture of repentance. The biblical picture of repentance is a good thing. It's a kind thing. It's a loving thing. It says, I'm going this way, and I realize that this way is not leading me to good places, so I turn around and I walk the other way. Just walking toward Jesus. I've not been honest with myself. I believe this about me. I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to listen to what Jesus is saying. I'm going to listen to what God is saying. Getting real and honest and repenting is what it takes to interview your life and to be transformed by it. Two more things, and then we're going to practice this. Let's just say this out, like, give yourself a little bit of grace. Christians can be the most judgmental people of themselves. Never mind everybody else, right? We get so upset with our interior life, and we are always just plugging at it, plugging at it, plugging at it, and we accuse ourselves, 
and we get at us. And you know what? This world has got enough people and enough things accusing us that we don't need somebody else. Jesus has never come to accuse. He's come to call us forward. He's calling us to repentance. So just turn and repent and start over and give yourself a little bit of grace because that's what God does. You don't have to earn your salvation. He did it for you. You don't have to earn your healing. He's doing it for you. You don't have to clean the inside of your cup. He's cleaning it for you. So allow him and give yourself grace to fail. Oh, shoot, I was wrong again. Oh, well, Jesus, forgive me. Heidi, forgive me. Emma, forgive me. Kids, forgive me. I blew it. I don't do that often enough, probably. But I want to give myself grace, and I want to invite you to give yourself grace and build your life upon his love, not his orders and commandments. Build your life upon his grace and find that it's a firm foundation and it's a place where you can actually begin to discover freedom. Lastly, you're going to have to have a plan because as great as all these other things are, you're going to go home tomorrow and you're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, what was that third point? I mean, like, oh, it was something about grace. I don't know what he even said. Shoot, I forgot. I'm terrible. And you're going to turn and you're going to go right back to what you did before. You got to have a plan. You got to have a plan. If you're going to take time to interview your life, if you're going to give yourself soul space, when? My wife is really good at this. I've come up with this great, brilliant plan that is going to save the world, literally. And she goes, ooh, that is a good idea. How are you going to start? I just did. I just told you the plan. That's the plan. This is it. She's like, okay, well, who else is going to need to be involved in that? And I'm like, I don't know. It's the plan. This is, it's what we're going to do. And she, and she like takes me down and, t- and eventually I give up because it's like, yeah, it'll never work. I'll never get this down. But it's simple. Have a plan for how you're going to do this. I am going to start tomorrow morning to take five minutes in bed, in the shower, at my kitchen table, to just be quiet. I'm not going to even crunch my cereal. I'm just going to listen for five minutes. At lunchtime, I'm going to go sit in my car instead of in my office for five minutes. I'm not going to turn the radio on. I'm just going to be quiet with my thoughts. A plan. Create a plan because life wants to fill every waking second. And we want to be careful to listen to God, but to listen to what our cups are saying to us so that when we give the water of our life to somebody else, when our neighbor is in crisis and in need, when our office mate is hurting and lonely, we come to them with clean water, that we come to them with a life that is being restored by Jesus, and we can offer them something wonderful, not floaties. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8 says this, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did, and then they provoked me. This morning, we've heard a lot of different things. We've heard lots of different ways that our lives are speaking to us. And I want to challenge you that the Lord is saying to you, don't harden your heart. Don't turn inward and just shut down. But open yourselves up to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who is living in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are God's house. And that spirit that is living in you is alive and active and speaking and healing and restoring and giving grace. And you can walk alongside of that spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. We're going to take a little bit of soul space and we're going to practice listening to our lives. 
And as I've talked about the woes, there may have been one of those specific things that guilt or shame or honor or position or power or whatever. Some of those things may have spoke to you. But if it didn't, I want to do, it's a practice. And this is from EHS. It's called Exploring the Iceberg. You guys know about the iceberg? Right, the iceberg. You guys, the iceberg is what killed the Titanic, right? And it wasn't what was above the water that killed them. They saw, oh, look, lovely iceberg, penguins, and boom, they ran right through the bottom of the thing that they couldn't see. 90% of the iceberg is underneath the water, and down goes the Titanic. We want to be a people who explore the 90% of the iceberg below the water and know, because that's the deep parts of us. That's where God's speaking and God's working. That's where the floaties are. Are, are, are? That was a pirate just now. Are. It's where all the nasty stuff of our lives are that Jesus is just trying to draw to the surface and clean out. We want to explore that. So you were given a sheet of paper. Maybe you weren't. And it's a little half sheet of paper. Who's got one? Somebody got one? Anybody got one? There's a couple. All right. So if you don't have one of those, raise your hand because Casey has extras. Casey, where'd she go? Oh, there she is. So just raise your hand. We're going to give you one of these. You might, we're going to just walk through this in some quiet As Casey's doing this, I want to, one more quick illustration. In the 1800s, in Russia, there was a, a queen or a, an empress, and she was going to tour her country. And there was this Russian general named Patinkin. Anybody ever heard of Patinkin? I can't hardly say that name. There's more over here if we, need, if we don't have it. Or maybe, do we have any more? She's maybe going to print some. Maybe not. We don't have really time. It'll be up here. So Patinkin knew that their country was extremely poor, extremely impoverished, and the queen, this empress, was going to travel from one side of the country to the other, seeing her empire. And so what Patinkin did is he didn't want her to know how bad it was. He didn't want her to know about the poverty and the brokenness and the slums and the streets and the open sewers and all that stuff. So what he did was he built a building, building facades that were beautiful. They were ornate. And then he hired a bunch of villagers to put on peasant clothing that was clean and nice and new and to come to this first village that was like, oh, it was like shantytown shacks on one side and on the face of it was these facades of beauty and all of these people would keep all the real villagers in the back, back in their poverty and they would stand out front and smile and wave at the queen as she drove by on her train. Now, it would take thousands of miles between cities so what Patinkin did is made sure that the train went a little bit slower then the wagons were going to go, taking that village apart, moving it to the next town a thousand miles away, put the facades back up, bring the actors back in, everybody smiles and waves. It's called the Patinkin Village. It's a complete fake. It worked too. She never knew. Our lives are often Patinkin Villages. We put up a facade, we bring out the villagers, and we wave and smile. But on the other side... Our lives are seeing, saying something. And we want to ask our lives right now. Let's interview our lives. And here's how we're going to do it. Four basic emotions that we each feel. And we're going to ask our life, ourself, self, what do you feel mad about? And I want you to do that right now. I'm going to give you just a moment. What do you feel mad about? Maybe write it down or think about it.
I normally would like to take a little longer with these things, and I would encourage you to do this at home. But I'm just going to ask again, like, if there was one more thing that you were mad about, what would it be? If there was just one more thing that brought anger up in your life, what is it? Can we just take a second and offer that up to Jesus? Allow him to speak what he wants to speak. What does our anger say about that? What What is our anger speaking about our relationship with God? What is our anger speaking about the interior of our lives? Do you just take a moment and offer that up to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you speak? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Next, let's just interview our lives and ask, what am I sad about? What am I experiencing sorrow or remorse? What am I sad about? Again, I don't want to hurry, but I do want to ask you, if there was just one more thing that you were sad about, what would it be? There's just something more. What would it be? Something that you're sad about. Something you're losing or have lost. Hurt a broken relationship. What are you sad about? Next, I want to ask you, now, all of you are probably going to sit down and write a book at this point, so brace yourselves. What are you anxious about? What are you worried? Or, oh, I heard all the pages turning. They're like, oh, my gosh. What are you concerned about? What are you worried about for the future? What are you anxious about? there was just one more thing that you were anxious about, what would it be? There was just something more that maybe you didn't write down. What would that thing be? What are you anxious about? Let's just take a moment and just offer that to Jesus. Jesus, would you speak to me about my anxiety and about my sorrow and my sadness? Now, lastly, we, we as human beings tend to look at all the negative stuff, but our life, actually, what we are passionate about, what brings us joy, what brings us hope in life, speaks about who we are and what God is doing in us, too. So let me ask you this. What are you glad about? What are you glad about? What are you excited about? What are you happy for? What are you joyful about? What are you glad about? Just take a moment and write some of those things down.
And there was one more thing. Probably haven't got to the bottom of the pile yet because God has given you so much. But there was one more thing that you were really glad about. What is it? What is that thing that you're really glad? And let's just offer that up to Jesus and say, thank you. But also say, Jesus, what are you speaking to me in the midst of that? What do I know about myself and what you've made me to be about why I'm so glad for these things? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Simon, would you guys pull up the words to the doxology, D-O-X-O-L-O-G-Y? And some of you are going, yay, we're going to sing a hymn. And some of you are going, what's doxology? That's a weird word. So the doxology is an ancient song. It goes back to the second century or so. And it's about, it's just praising God. It was a thing that all the church would stand and sing together. And it says this, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All the things that I'm glad about, praise him for those things. And then it's a call to nature and creation. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts, the stars, the moon, the sun, the skies. Praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that lives in us. So I'd like to invite you to stand now, and we're just going to sing that as we close today. Now, I know that you opened up Pandora's box by asking these questions, and I want to invite you this week to take some time to have some soul space and begin to interview your life. What are these things saying? And maybe get a different perspective from somebody. See a counselor, see a, see a spiritual director, see a, a life coach like my wife Heidi. She's available and, and she's cheap. Um, you can visit her. But get a different perspective on these things and begin to ask your life, what are you saying? And let's clean the cup and not be like the Pharisees. Amen? Let's sing this together. Praise God from